Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Um, and as, as Nathan mentioned, I'm, I'm uh, the executive director of Harvard Christian Counseling. I was one of the therapists that founded it uh, about five and a half years ago. Um, and our mission is to provide integrative Christian counseling for uh, individuals, couples, families, and, and kids all around Greater Boston. Uh, we have a team of about 17 clinicians um, that are, are part of Harbor. And so it's, uh, we, we're really excited to be able to serve uh, a lot of different types of needs uh, in Boston. So, And uh, I'm excited. I'm, this is one of the things that I love to talk about because this is what I do all day, every day, but also just the idea of integrating faith into mental health is, is one of my great passions in life. So I'm really excited that you guys showed up on a Friday night to listen to me talk about that and to talk together about that. So um, before we jump in, I'd love to just hear from a couple folks uh, what it was that uh, brought you out tonight. What, what is it about this topic that was interesting to you? What were you hoping to kind of think about or learn about tonight? What, what, what kind of brought you tonight? Just a couple folks that would be willing to share. Uh, but we're going to talk about that in, in uh, a, later, a little bit later, some of the differences between Christian counseling and, and maybe other types of counseling. So, uh, Anybody in here that's a psychology major? Just had it. Okay. All right. So you got the, the smart stuff to say tonight. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's jump in um, real quick. There's a number up there. If you have a question that comes up while we're talking, you're welcome to just raise your hand and ask anytime. I always say, as a counselor, I get pretty uncomfortable around the 15-minute mark of just pure monologue, so I'm really more accustomed to listening, so feel free to ask questions along the way. But if you have a question you'd want to send in, that's a Google Voice number for RUF. Those will go to Nathan, and we'll kind of read those. And that's also an an anonymous way to send in questions, too, if if you want to do that. We'll have some time at the end to to get into all that, so that's what that number's about. Um, All right, so a quick survey. Um, How many of you have been sick uh, within the past six months? During the school year so far, how many of you have dealt with some kind of health issue, some kind of sickness? So, everybody. Okay, no, not Jimmy. Not yet. Not sick. (laughs) That's incredible. Okay, you should probably just step out because it's, you know, but that's amazing. A lot of sickness right now, definitely. Um, I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, as, as Nathan mentioned, so that means our house is pretty much just a revolving door of germs. Um, so it's, sickness is like a relative thing. It's just a matter of how sick are you today, pretty much. So I'm not very sick today, which is, which is great. Um, I think getting sick, maybe you guys are better than I was in college, but getting sick as a college student is, is tough because you kind of have to take care of yourself, right? Um, and it's most college students, I think, are not super great at that, the whole taking care of yourself thing when you're sick. Again, maybe you guys are different than I was in college, but when it comes to, like, doing things to help your health when you're not feeling well, you know, for me, it was like, I'm just going to eat the same cafeteria food, get the same insufficient sleep, probably not going to take medicine because I don't have any medicine. Parents aren't there to help out, so I'm just going to kind of fend, fend for myself uh, just try to gut it out and let the sickness pass. Um, one good thing, though, at least for when I was in college, about getting sick is the uh, the whole uh, care package thing. So anybody ever received a care package from a friend or a family member? Okay. So my mom was really into care packages. And there was one time my freshman year when I got sick, and my mom sent me a care package. She sent me a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts from Texas. That's where I grew up. So it went in the mail and I went to college in California. She sent me a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. She put a sign on it that said Krispy Kreme to the rescue. Very sweet of mom. It didn't super translate well though because the box got kind of smashed up so I opened it up and it was just 12 smashed donuts. (laughs) The thought that counts probably made me feel a little bit better. But um, Maybe some of you when you raised your hands it was was something a little more serious than than a cold or a flu kind of thing. Maybe there's been something really challenging with with your health that's been going on or maybe you're thinking about a family member or a a friend that's been dealing with something difficult but 
Um, there's just so many health-related issues that we have to navigate as, as part of being human. Um, and thankfully, there's, there's a lot of great forms of treatment out there uh, in most cases. So now, uh, thinking back to when you raised your hand just a minute ago, I wonder how that question would feel different if I were to ask this, and I don't want you to raise your hands for this, but I just want, want you to think about how this question would feel different. How many of you have struggled with your mental health in, in some way within the past six months? It could be depression or anxiety. It could be attention issues, behavior problems, addictions, fears, relationship issues, past traumas coming up. It's a different feeling when it comes to recognizing and talking about those things, right? And that different feeling, uh, in large part, is, is due to something called stigma. Maybe, maybe you know what stigma is. But mental health stigmas are cultural beliefs and, and attitudes that marginalize and malign the experience of mental health. So they cast it in a negative light um, or a dismissive kind of way. Um, I'll name a couple of maybe familiar mental health stigmas that, that you might have heard before. Uh, so a person that's experiencing some mental health symptoms uh, feels like they're going crazy. Or they see somebody that, in their life that's going through something difficult with their mental health and they're, they're going crazy. Or a depressed person is, is actually just lazy. Depression is laziness. Or therapy is only for people that are, that are in crisis. I hear that all the time. When people come in for counseling, they want to sort of give me the heads up. I'm not in crisis or anything. I'm not, like, going crazy. But still. And that's the mental health stigma. And the impact of those is incredibly damaging. Stigmas produce shame. They produce denial, isolation, prejudice, hopelessness, and just overall worsening of symptoms and less engaging with treatment that can be helpful. And I know that stigma varies from culture to culture. Some cultures have particular kinds of stigma, but it exists pretty much in one way or another in every type of culture. So more concerning, though, for me at least, is the fact that there's a unique kind of stigma that uh, exists in Christian cultures around, oftentimes in, in Christian cultures around mental health and mental illness. So those are, again, beliefs and attitudes that are somehow associated with our shared faith that add a deeper sense of confusion or shame uh, around the experience of mental health. And that's true despite the fact that mental illness is just as prevalent for Christians as it is for anybody else uh, in, in the world. There's a group called the National Association of, National Alliance of Mental Illness um, you've probably heard this number before at some point, but they consistently have reported that about one in four people uh, will experience some sort of clinically diagnosable mental illness within any given year. And within the last few years, that number's kind of been creeping actually closer to one in three people, just given some of the challenges that, that have been going on in the world. There's another group, though, called Lifeway Research that studied just, just Christian communities and they found uh, among church attenders and also among pastors that number is one in four for church attenders and for, for pastors. So there really is no discernible difference between the experience of mental illness among the general population and Christians, even Christian leaders. So given the fact that that's true, why do we have these stigmas, you know? So I want to just kind of name what some of those stigmas might be, but I love your help. So... Just a heads up here, I put a lot of transition things into the slides because I think they're hilarious. So <laughs> just, uh, just indulge me with that. I kind of broke some of the big ones in, that I know of down into these different categories. So it's kind of who experiences mental illness. And by the way, I'm going to kind of use mental health and mental illness a little bit interchangeably. So when we talk about mental health, a lot of times we're talking about something that you maintain and when you're struggling, that's a little bit more of like mental illness, you know, but I'm gonna use them interchangeably. So who experiences it? Why is it happening? And what, it, what does it look like to seek care for those? So some stigmas around who experiences mental health issues. Uh, people who have a weakness of faith. 
Uh, it's only experienced by immature or lesser Christians. Um, shouldn't be talked about at church. Not appropriate to talk about that at church. And those are things you need to get fixed before God can use you in any sort of way. You think about why uh, we might experience those things. A lot of people think that they're caused by specific sins. So I'm feeling this way because of this sin issue in my life, or this, or even this is given as, as punishment by God for sins in my life. Um, or kind of the other side of the coin, mental illness is given as a test of one's faith, and it's like, are you going to pass the test or not, right? Um, and, and another one in the why category is maybe mental illness is caused by or resulting from some sort of demonic influence, right? <clears throat> and then the last one, it's, uh, it's selfish or self-centered to care for your mental health. Um, it should be fixed, quote-unquote, through prayer or scripture alone. Medication is a Band-Aid, or it's, you know, messing with your body in some sort of way that you shouldn't. And then uh, psychology and therapy is secularizing. It's going to take you away from your faith. So... These are, these are damaging. These are painful to see. And if this is what we, we believe, this is what we talk about, I mean, it's no wonder that it can be so challenging for Christians to know how to make sense of mental health when you're struggling in that area. It's no wonder that it's, it's particularly hard to know where to look for help, um, how to open up, and what it means to take care of ourselves. And as a counselor and, and also somebody who really cares deeply about the church, this is concerning for a lot of reasons, but three in particular come to mind for me. One, it means that Christians a lot of times are prone to worse health outcomes, not just mental health outcomes, but overall health outcomes because of these stigmas. And they're prone to use less of the effective, uh, helpful treatments that are out there. <clears throat> it also, second, it means the church becomes sidelined from the cultural conversation about mental health when really we need to have uh, a relevant voice in that conversation. We have a lot of significance to add to that conversation, but we're sidelined when we talk about it in this sort of way. And we're also ill-equipped as the church to deal with the realities of mental health because of it. And then last, and this is where we're going to kind of jump further tonight, is that I think fundamentally misrepresents and distorts the truth of who God is and, and how he made us. It's, it's saying something untrue about God and, and how he made us to say these things. So my goal for tonight is to chip away at some of this stuff and to uh, talk about why mental health and mental illness is a normal part of Christian life and that God has given us a lot of spiritual and natural resources to try to care for our, our mental health. And um, so that's where we're going tonight. <clears throat> on my pages at some point but all right we're gonna start here mental health and mental illness I'm just gonna be straight about it mental health and mental illness are a normal part of Christian life by that I mean it's normal for a Christian to struggle with mental health just as it's normal for anybody else in the world to struggle with mental health and we ought to see that as something that just exists within the normal spectrum of the challenges that we're that we face in life. So that word normal there, normalization is the antidote to stigmatization. Normalization is the antidote to stigma. So that's why talking about it as a normal thing is super important. It's not about weakness or immaturity or failure. It's not something to be marginalized. It's, it's a normal part of Christian life. Okay, you've heard me say the word normal like 20 times there, so getting that across. And just going back to the sickness thing that we started with, the, the health sickness, we accept that idea without hesitation when it comes to physical illness. We know we're going to be affected by it. We understand that it's just part of life. We might wrestle with why it's happening, how long it's happening, but we don't question, about, we don't question what it means about us when we get sick um, or whether we as Christians ought to get sick. Like, of course we don't think that. And that, because it's normal. That same normalization ought to be true for mental health, just as it is for, for physical health. And again, I'm not just saying that because it sounds nice. 
I'm saying that because it's, it's true. And in particular, it's true because of this, some implications of this big word, this big phrase here called theological anthropology. So, big word. Anybody want to take a stab at what that phrase means? So that was exactly right. That's pretty good. Yeah. Smart guy. All right. Uh, understanding. You said it better than I'm going to say it. Understanding the human condition through a spiritual perspective. Yeah, that was perfect. Um, here's how I put it. It's our understanding of what it means to be human in relationship to God. Um, and so I think the normal nature of mental health is a reflection of our theological anthropology, what our understanding of what it means to be human. And so let's talk a little bit about what Scripture reveals to us about what it means to be human. And a lot of that is, uh, a lot of this is going to be based in the first couple chapters of the Bible in Genesis, in the creation account. But then it's repeated throughout Scripture. These things are, are repeated throughout the Psalms, throughout the prophets, throughout the Gospels of Jesus. Jesus is teaching throughout the letters of the New Testament. So it starts at the beginning, but it's just reiterated throughout Scripture. So here's a couple things that I think are important about our understanding of what it means to be human. You might think about our createdness, just the fact that we were created at all. Um, in that createdness, God gives us autonomy, he gives us freedom, but uh, at the same time, we are dependent on God. You might use the word contingent. We exist because of God. So we have createdness. Along with that createdness, we're created in the image of God. Um, and that gives us this inherent dignity and, and value in a way that's distinct from anything else in, in creation. So we carry this really distinct uh, value and worth because of being created in the image of God. Um, that, from a psychological perspective, that is kind of the basis even for this concept of having a sense of self, having a sense of personhood. That's something that human beings have that, as far as we know, no, no other creature experiences as a sense of self. And that's because of that image of God that we're given. Um, it also reflects this kind of interrelated quality that we have with, with each other. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But God being three persons in one, there's a just inherent uh, interdependence and relationship to that that's put into us because of the image of God. Uh, more pages. One way to summarize those two things, too, by the way, that I think is helpful for, for what we're talking about is to say that we bear the image of God, but also we are not God. Uh, so we bear the image of God, we bear his likeness, but we are not God. And that's really key to our, what it means to be human. Um, so along with that, the, the dependency, the not-godness, you know, there's an inherent sense of finiteness or limitedness to our, to our human nature. So we're limited in our knowledge and our understanding. We're limited in our energy, our capacity. We're limited in our ability to fulfill responsibilities. Everything has an endpoint to it for, for humans. So we're limited. Uh, God made us as body and spirit. We're not just spiritual beings. We're also not just physical beings. God made us as body uh, and spirit, and he gave us that full kind of sense of body and spirit to navigate life and to experience life and to experience God's own grace for us in that body and spirit. So that's, that's another key thing. Uh, he made us for relationships. It started off, it's not good to be alone. Uh, we're, we're made for relationships and we're made to be interdependent with, with one another. So this sense of having needs that we give and receive from one another, even the capacity to kind of hurt and be hurt by other people, that's really built into the sense of, of what it means to be human. Um, and, of course, being human also means that we're profoundly affected by sin. And why, when I say profound, what I mean by that is that we're affected within ourselves by sin. The, you know, the way we relate to ourselves. The, the way we, yeah, the way we relate to ourselves is affected by sin, but we're also affected by the sin that exists around us. So it's kind of all around us and all within us. One thing I just want to mention is that up until that point, 
there's parts of each of those those first kind of characteristics there that are inherent to how God made us prior to uh, prior to the fall and prior to sin. So the fact of being limited and being finite, the fact of having uh, a body as well, as well as a spirit, the fact of bearing the image of God, that all exists separate from the sin. That's kind of God's intended way for us to, to live, um, actually. So I think that's important, that not everything about being human is just because of sin, because of the fall, right? The last couple things, and these, these last two are more directly due to, due to sin, uh, but it's this incredible sense of fearfulness that we uh, experience as human beings. The Bible talks about fear somewhere north of 350 times in the Bible. It's, uh, it's a very common topic. Um, it talks about suffering probably about that much as well. There's this sense of like the inevitability of suffering in life. And, and all of this is just kind of built into this sense of what it, what it means to be human. On those last couple points, uh, just a couple words of Jesus that I think of a lot. Um, if you know the story of Jesus in the storm, uh, he's in the boat with his disciples. They start freaking out because it's a very scary situation. and They are fearful. And Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Um, and he says it, I think, with, uh, with compassion for them, the fact that they are fearful. Um, another thing that Jesus says, this is in John 16, he's telling his disciples, in this life you will have trouble. He's telling them, expect to have trouble um, in, in life. And so there it is again, Jesus talking about fearfulness, suffering, trouble. These are things that, that kind of go, go along with being human. So, uh, again, I think mental health is, you can find points of connection to to each of those things. Um, The fact that we experience uh, limits, the fact that we come up against the fact of of being finite, uh, and we're frustrated by that, the fact that we are affected by relationships and have an effect in relationships, the fact that we have that profound sin uh, impact in our life, both how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to other people, obviously fearfulness and suffering, those are all reflections of the fact uh, that, that mental health is a normal part of Christian life. Um, so, some of you might have heard this as well, this is kind of like this uh, redemption, salvation arc that's throughout the, the Bible. It talks about starting with creation, then being affected by the fall, redemption through Christ, and then ultimately restoration. And I think mental health is reflected in, in each of these aspects. You know, there's there's aspects of how we were created that is is a reality of mental health. Certainly the impact of the fall. I think redemption is the fact that, you know, we can experience God's grace in our life and in the areas where we struggle, even now. But then there's also this sense that we're still waiting for full restoration, and we're going to continue to struggle with that. It's, it's, it's normal to expect us to continue to struggle with the same things this side of restoration. So I think that's another theological, biblical concept that's a reflection of mental health, too. So I want to pause here, and I want to talk a little bit about some uh, maybe go-to texts that people often refer to when they are... Uh, trying to spiritualize or minimize uh, mental health. Um, Before we do that, any questions about any of this stuff? No. Like I said, ask me questions uh, if they come up. Um, So, okay, these are two verses. These are like what you might call like coffee cup verses um, in Christianity where they sound great, People say them a lot to cheer people up or to, or in some cases, to kind of spiritualize or minimize things. Um, and I'd love a couple of volunteers, one to read this one and one to read this one. Who, would anybody be willing, if you can read it, read that first one? Sure. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you very much. Yeah. If that, if that verse was misused um, when it comes to mental health, what, how do you think anybody, how do, how do you think it might be misused um, or in a kind of stigmatizing kind of way? Yeah, just don't, just don't. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Just don't. Simple as that, right? Yeah. I think Nathan talked about one of the, maybe one of the other stigmas is the, the sense of like, you should always be happy as a Christian. And so I think sometimes that rejoice always idea can be brought up in the way of like, well, we should have this joy all the time or this happiness all the time. Um, okay, somebody want to read this, this second one here? So kind of similar here, if this was going to be misused, it would be this do not thing. Do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Um, be strong and courageous. Don't you know you're a Christian? You should, you know, you should feel that way all the time. And, you know, it's, none of these things are untrue, obviously. These come from Scripture. But the way, the way they're applied and uh, kind of dropped on us in a place of struggling is, is misleading and, and harmful. And, but something that I think is interesting about these verses and, and my maybe take on them is that the Bible, and we talked about how fear is talked about so many times in the Bible and suffering is talked about so many times. Uh, the, the, the reason I think that it's in the Bible so much is because we ought to expect this to be something we're going to struggle a lot with. We ought to expect that we're going to have a lot of things to worry about in life and a lot of things to be afraid of. And a lot of things that are going to make it really hard to be joyful and to rejoice. And uh, so in God's word, that's given to us with an understanding that being human means we're going to face this stuff a lot. Um, and so it's given as an exhortation, as an encouragement, but also with compassion, knowing that we, we need to, to be often reminded of that, that stuff. Um, and not ever, because... You just should not experience that as a Christian. It's, it's, it's a normal part of Christian life. And we'll come back to those verses in just a second. Um, <clears throat> so if we're saying that mental health is a normal part of Christian life, what does that mean when it comes to caring for your mental health? Particularly within this idea that mental health is, is an implication of our theological anthropology, our understanding of what it means to be humans. Um, and I think if, if that's true, then caring for mental health also is going to be fully encompassed in our full sense of what it, what it means to be human, of how we were made as human, our full experience of being a human. So in other words, God has given us uh, both spiritual and natural resources to care for our mental health um, because God's grace is abundant. And he has so many ways to communicate his grace to us through spiritual and through natural means. And what I mean by natural means is the stuff that is all a part of being a human, um, all a part of our physical life, our, our relational life, all that stuff. And I want to emphasize that and. See, it's in capital letters. I want to emphasize the and because a lot of times this conversation gets hung up on one or the other, right? If you are struggling with your mental health, it's a spiritual issue. Or if you're struggling with your mental health, it's a, it's a physical issue. It's a mental, emotional, behavioral issue, right? And I think we as Christians want to see that as, as an and. It's both a spiritual and a natural issue. Um, and the resources that God gives us are both spiritual and natural. So again, just to go back one more time to that parallel with just physical, uh, physical illnesses. Um, when we're sick we pray and seek God and we trust in God with our sickness right and we also engage every appropriate form of treatment that we have available to us 
Uh, it's, it's not an either or when it comes to that stuff, and neither should it be with mental health. It's, it's a, a both and, it's spiritual and natural. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about those spiritual elements. And uh, this, all, all the stuff I'm going to kind of try to talk through here, it, it's, what I have in mind with it, first of all, is kind of like things that you can do for yourself um, to care for your own mental health. That was the title of the talk. So I, I want to give you guys things that make sense for you to use in your own life. We'll talk later about what this looks like in the context of counseling, too, more of a like clinical type of context. But everything we're going to talk about is the things that you can certainly practice in your own life. Um, so all right, when we think about spiritual elements, uh, absolutely, prayer is a huge one of those. Um, and that means... Um, that, that can look like a lot of, lot of different types of prayer that can be used for caring for our mental health. Uh, we might think about prayer as kind of a seeking and asking uh, type of prayer, like a petitionary kind of prayer, asking God for help, asking God for his mercy, uh, presenting our needs, our concerns to God in prayer, um, and asking, us to, asking him to help us in them. Um, I think there's also a really... Uh, meaningful form of prayer when it comes to mental health around more like meditating type of prayer and receiving type of prayer or listening types of prayer where you're kind of just being being quiet before the Lord, maybe presenting your concerns before the Lord, but then just sort of sitting quietly and, and meditating, um, receiving God's word to you um, and, and meditating on who God is even. Um, there's also intercessory prayer and intercessory prayer is this idea of other people praying for you. Um, so prayer isn't something as a resource for mental health that only you do for yourself. Asking for that and receiving that from others is, is a big piece of that. Um, anybody have any examples of prayer when it comes to mental health that, that uh, you would add to that list or that for you has been, been a, a helpful resource or even a story of that? Yeah writing stuff that that's I, a lot of times people use journaling right and journaling can kind of span everything that we're going to talk about here it's probably the number one most used intervention when it comes to counseling is journaling um, that's because it has a really powerful effect of just getting stuff out of your head and we can use journaling as a prayer tool as well it's like this is a communication between me and, and, and God too so you weren't exactly talking about journaling, but just writing stuff down in general. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. We got prayer. We got scripture, too. And, and of course, scripture is, is an amazing resource to us. Um, it's not only something that's misused. It's also something that's an incredible, uh, incredible comfort to us and, and also a conviction to us. It's comforting and, and convicting. Um, and that might look like studying scripture just as you do regularly, whatever that looks like, or studying scripture in a like particular way around where, you know, something that I'm wrestling with is talked about in scripture, and just really trying to reflect and, and, and process through that in scripture itself. I think memorizing scripture is, is another one that, uh, another use of scripture that is helpful for all things in faith, but definitely with, with mental health, to have meaningful scripture that's deeply held in us um, is uh, a really powerful way to interact with some of the thoughts, feelings, struggles that, that we experience. It's just to have that scripture within you is, is really powerful. Um, and then also praying through scripture is a, is a really powerful resource as well. So sometimes when we don't know what to pray, using scripture to uh, guide us in prayer is a, is a, is a really powerful re resource. Um, praying through the Psalms in particular. We'll talk about the Psalms later. Psalms are like... Uh, a study in emotions, right? And so whatever you're feeling, there's a psalm to express that. And so that's a, a, just an example of praying through scripture that can be powerful. And there's other spiritual practices, and that, that could be worship itself, that could be confession. Even silence uh, can be a powerful, uh, sort of like the meditation type of prayer, but just silence as a spiritual practice can be really helpful for some people. Um, and what I want to just emphasize in all those things, here's the transition. Do you see that? I'll do it again. 
Um, when it comes to all those things, what's important to know is God is at the center of all of them, and God is the bottom line always in, in all of them. And I think that's some of the power of those, those more spiritual resources is the fact that it, it's going to pull our attention to who God is um, in general and who God is to us, right? So God's the bottom line always, and that is the presence of God, that's the power of God, the, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the sufficiency of God. God is the bottom line of all these things. And I just want to, I'm not going to read through all these verses here. The first two are the ones we read earlier. Um, there's this one here from Matthew 6. Uh, this is Jesus talking about, do not be anxious. Um, the flowers of the field have what they need. The birds have their food. Um, so don't be anxious. What shall we eat or drink? Um, this is from Second Corinthians here. Paul talking about um, this kind of weakness that he has struggled with through his whole ministry and God coming to him and saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, and then last from Psalm 23 here, um, the Lord is my shepherd, that psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. And what I just wanted to highlight about these verses, because again, these are all things that maybe come up a lot when we're talking about mental health, is this, this consistent theme of God is the bottom line of, of, of all, all of this stuff. So in Philippians there, the reason we can rejoice, the reason we can not be anxious or we are encouraged to release our anxieties is because the Lord is at hand, the Lord's present uh, and near to us. And the peace that we receive is the peace of God. Um, the verse from Joshua that we read, the reason to not be afraid and not be dismayed is because the Lord God is, is with you. Um, the reason Jesus tells us we, uh, we cannot be anxious is because our Heavenly Father knows. And earlier he says, too, in that same passage, he reminds us that we are much more valuable, too. So that goes back to that image of God idea that like we, we can rest in our anxieties because of the value that we have before God. Second uh, Corinthians, my grace, my power, the power of Christ. That's that's the bottom line. And Psalm 23 here, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. So in, in each of those cases, the reason, the answer in all those is is uh, is God Himself. <clears throat> so God's given us incredibly powerful spiritual resources that that address our mental health needs, but because He's made us body and spirit living, breathing, thinking, feeling, interdependent human beings, uh, just as he made us to be. Shouldn't we also see that all of that is also an essential part of, of what he's given us to receive his grace and care for our mental health? So we're going to talk about some of these embodied elements, some of these, you know, these natural resources that we have. Um, and really, it's not that it's... These are two separate categories, even, really. They... Uh, they are fully related to each other so that when we lean into one that has an effect on the other here's another transition I love it <laughs> See, <laughs> uh, when we lean into one the other is brought into it and vice versa when we lean into the embodied resources that God has that pulls in the spiritual resources as well so I don't want you to think that these are two separate things they're definitely interrelated in that way and all of it, too, even as we talk about these embodied elements, all of it, too, God is still the bottom line. And, and God is still kind of the, the point, and the, the, especially for Christians caring for mental health, the point is of all those things is to bring us in closer alignment with uh, who we are before God. Um, so let's talk through just a little bit about what some of those embodied elements might, might look like. Um, and again, these are things that you can use in your own life, but also, also part of uh, what, what can go into Christian counseling, too, and, and I'll talk about that later. So when we talk about our thoughts, you know, and m one of my primary, uh, I guess, approaches as a counselor is, is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which ultimately is just this idea that those three things at the top there, our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors, are all kind of interrelated with each other. And so we can address our thoughts as a way of trying to uh, regulate our emotions or just respond to our emotions. 
and, and also our behaviors have a big, big effect on that as well. And those are just three really, three really essential things about like how we work as human beings, our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors. So when we talk about trying to care for mental health around thoughts, things that might come to mind are uh, something we would call like cognitive distortions. Big word, not a big word, but those are basically just patterns of thinking that cause us to uh, uh, kind of get stuck in, in negative emotions of some kind. So an example of that would be like really black and white kinds of thinking or uh, like what you might call it catastrophizing. So sort of like worst case scenario types of thinking. So we see that a lot with anxieties and fears where something happens and I'm immediately going 10 years down the road of what's, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen and what's the result of this gonna be and then I get stuck there is in that catastrophic kind of thinking. Or with black and white thinking, maybe I think a student example, like I, all, all my classes are going pretty well but I'm struggling in this one class and like that's the thing I'm fixated on is because uh, if it's not all going well, then I feel like nothing's going well, you know? So that would be an example of black and white or like all or nothing kind of thinking is, is another word for it. Um, another big one within thoughts is uh, self-talk, right? So how do you talk to yourself about yourself? Just the kind of things that you kind of speak to yourself in your own thoughts. What, is, what does that look like? Um, or you might call that like an inner critic. And a lot of us have really, really mean inner critics where the things that you say to, you, to yourself, if you say it out loud, well that sounds terrible. You would never say that to another person. And yet in our thoughts we carry this, this really harsh kind of inner, inner critic. Um, being here in Boston and, and you know, work with a lot of students and I, and I know a lot of students in a lot of competitive environments have a really, really mean inner critic. And so that is, is definitely one I would highlight for you guys is paying attention to what those thoughts look like is, is a really important way to try to care for your own mental health. Um, sometimes we talk about trying to uh, pull out that inner critic and change its voice a little bit and make it sound more like a coach to you. And so that takes a lot of practice though. It's not a natural thing. And so um, it, it definitely takes uh, a focus to do that. Um, just a biblical kind of basis for that idea of, of uh, working on our thoughts too is in, in 2 Corinthians um, 10, Paul says we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so there's this idea in scripture there that it's important to address what's going on in our, in our thoughts at that matters. We take every thought captive. Uh, we'll talk about emotions, right? And um, emotions are uh, essential to how God made us. God gave us emotions for a reason and, and all emotions for, for a reason. And one of the big things when it comes to working with emotions is uh, something as simple as just identifying what you are feeling. That is something we, we work on in counseling all the time is just putting a name to it, identifying what is the feeling that you're feeling. Because sometimes it gets confusing and, and, and cloudy emotions, really strong emotions especially. Or I feel this, and then that makes me feel this, and then that makes me feel that. Um, I, I'm working with a guy right now who, uh, when he feels sad, he feels sad some days, and that starts to make him anxious about how other people are gonna perceive his sadness. And then he starts to feel fearful about what the result of that is gonna be in his friend group, in his you know, work situation. Um, then he starts to get angry about the fact that he has to like be on guard about being sad and it's like wow these emotions get really complicated and one of the things we're working on is just try to kind of reel that back in and name what where did that start I was feeling sad and sort of accepting that trying to process a little bit like what's what's contributing to that sadness um, and even knowing like when I feel sad, what are some things that help me to just kind of naturally process that sadness rather than the reactive kind of response to it. So uh, with emotions, identifying them and just kind of knowing what, they, what, the, what, what they're kind of being triggered by um, and what are some helpful ways to regulate it is, is a really helpful thing. 
I mentioned the Psalms just a minute ago, and and they are uh, just this emotion, this emotional case study. And you can find Psalms that is an expression of joy, Psalms that are an expression of worry, anger, fear, peace. Sometimes all those things in one Psalm, too. It's a uh, uh, despair, too. And so the Psalms there are, I think, a demonstration of the fact that emotions are part of life, part of Christian life, and also they can be a resource to you to kind of process through those emotions. Um, and then the last one there, or not the last one, but the third one there, behaviors. Um, I think just being mindful of uh, how your behaviors uh, are, also, are both a, uh, a response to the things you're feeling but also sometimes kind of reinforce those, those types of feelings. So an example of that is avoidance, right? Avoidance is something when we feel fearful or anxious, we're almost always gonna avoid the thing that we are afraid of. And avoidance has a way of actually amplifying that, that anxiety in some way. Sometimes it's like an appropriate avoidance, like that is not a thing to go do, but a lot of times it's, it's based in, in anxiety. And so recognizing avoidance, what am I avoiding? Procrastination is, is, uh, is sometimes an example of that, where I'm feeling uh, anxious about what I have to do, so I put off doing it, and it makes my situation harder. You know? That would be an example of a behavior. When we're depressed, something that happens to us is we tend to just sort of shut down, right? Um, and especially shut down from doing things that are the, you know, kind of counterintuitively the most helpful things for us to do. So doing things that we enjoy doing, talking to people that care about us, um, taking care of ourselves, like just kind of getting up and doing things to take care of ourselves. Depression causes us to shut down. And so, and it's, it's really, really hard when you're depressed to kind of get out of that. Um, and so uh, trying to kind of set specific goals around, like in very realistic goals around what can I do to kind of re start some of those behaviors that I know will help um, is part of that. Um, let me pause there. Any examples uh, or thoughts that you would want to share for those, for those first couple categories there, the thoughts, emotions, behaviors? talk about lifestyle what I mean by that is kind of like some of the basics of like your daily routine sleep that's a big one I talk about sleep with almost every client I've ever worked with in counseling because it has such a huge effect on everything sleep um, diet is, is part of that exercise part of that having hobbies and interests things that you like doing that's that's a big part of your lifestyle um, so again, if you're trying to care for your mental health, trying to step back and see like those lifestyle pieces is something that, that makes sense. Uh, medication, I think, um, is, is absolutely something that's helpful for some people in some, in some cases. And um, that, that's, we could have a whole talk on medication, but I, I would just say from a Christian, from my Christian counseling perspective, medication is something that is, is really helpful as, a, as an aid to some of the other types of uh, kind of care that you might be trying to work on when it comes to mental health things. So that's definitely another embodied element of caring for mental health. Um, self-care, I wanna, I wanna stop on this one because I, I get a like cringe feeling when I hear the word self-care, um, just because it gets weird, used in weird ways in our culture, but it's a really important part of caring for your mental health. Um, and so I wanted to ask you guys for some examples that come to mind for you, not of the cringy forms of self-care, which is usually like a massage, or which is good. I mean, massages are great. But that's not totally what we mean when it comes to self-care. Um, what are some examples that would come to mind for you guys of like what self-care for a college student might look like? Just to name the last couple there, relationships is, is a huge part of caring for self-help, for, for caring for our mental health. Um, being in supportive relationships, having relationships with people that care about you, that are checking in on you, and vice versa, having people that you are 
providing that for it too is, is really important, even when you're struggling with mental health, because kind of sometimes you need to get out of it too by checking in with somebody else too. So having those kind of relationships, being part of a, a really healthy community uh, is, a, is a big piece. Um, and then I, environment's kind of like a catch-all thing, but it's just recognizing the fact that, you know, you exist in a world with a lot of different factors going on around you. So just like, what are the things in my environment that are contributing to whatever I'm struggling with? Is there anything that I can do to kind of address that in some way, right? So again, all these, all these are ways that you can check in and care for your own mental health. Um, but often, uh, we do have a need for somebody else to enter into that with us and to speak into our lives, to give some perspective and, and guidance. And this is where counseling can, uh, can be a helpful resource um, for people. Um, and truthfully, most people will find a need for that at some point in their life. Um, and, and many will need it off and on throughout, throughout their life. And that's true for Christians and normal for Christians just as it is for, for anybody else. Um, <clears throat> And I think the value of counseling, this is not a plug for it, but just the value of counseling, is the fact that you have somebody with professional experience around this stuff, around kind of making sense of what you're dealing with in your life. There's professional experience there. A huge piece of counseling is the confidentiality of, of that relationship. There's really nothing, very few things in life that are like that, where there's uh, absolute trust around whatever you say, that it's going to be kept in confidence there. Um, it's a one-sided relationship. Again, that's something that exists hardly anywhere else in life, but a counseling relationship is one where you are receiving everything and no purpose to give anything to. And so being able to have a relationship where that's, that's the nature of it, you don't have to worry about what's my role, what are they going to do about that is is, uh, is really helpful uh, in some cases. Uh, therapists are trained to be non-judgmental and non-biased, so like when we are, you can talk about whatever and we're gonna have an open attitude towards that, even as Christians. You know, that's something that is challenging for Christian counselors in some cases, but it's really important to kind of be able to meet with everybody that would come to you exactly where they're at without bias and judgment, and it's hard to find that. Um, and I think a counseling relationship is also a little bit like an apprentice relationship when it comes to this kind of stuff where we have a good grasp of these different tools uh, that you can use to care for mental health. And as part of that relationship, we're going to kind of teach you how to use those tools, practice using those tools with you eventually so that you can better use those tools for, your, for yourself. So there's, there's a definitely a skill part to counseling too. So, And so as Christian counselors, we're taking this whole picture here uh, into account, and we're gonna think about how is each of these pieces relevant to what this person is dealing with in their life, what, what relevant to what they're presenting in counseling, and just try to come up with some shared goals and, and objectives and plans around how we can kind of use all of that to, to care for mental health. Um, sometimes counseling is really brief. We see people for a couple of sessions, I usually say one is not usually helpful. Um, you, if, if it's not a good fit, then it's fine to stop after one, but uh, otherwise one is not usually helpful. But sometimes it can be quite brief, like five, six, ten sessions. Sometimes it goes a little longer than that, six to nine months. And then again, some people have a need for counseling for on an ongoing basis, and, and that's based on their needs and also just works what works for them. Okay, I do want to take just a couple minutes as we're uh, starting to uh, wrap up here to, <clears throat> to think about what does distinguish maybe Christian counseling from uh, some of the larger cultural conversation around mental health, because there are some important distinctives. It's not as if Christian counseling is just one and the same of any other type of counseling. Um, I will say, before we do that, though, that I, you can receive competent, helpful, meaningful counseling from non-Christian counselors. Um, that services at BU um, can be really helpful for that. You can find great counselors that are not Christians that can be really, really helpful. 
Um, I think the important thing for Christians going into that is to, you know, bring wisdom into that process with you so that you can kind of uh, reflect on everything that's happening in that counseling experience through your faith um, to be able to have wisdom in that and also to have other people in your life that you can kind of bounce, bounce stuff off of as you're going through counseling. But I would never want anybody to walk away from this thinking good counseling has to be from a Christian counselor because I don't think it does. You can see a lot of bad Christian counselors too. So that's, there's no, no guarantee with that. I don't think we have any at Harbor, but, um, but they are out there for sure. Um, yeah, and even that kind of need for wisdom that I mentioned, I, I think that you, you ought to bring that into Christian counseling as well too because, I, and I tell people this all the time in counseling, I, believe it or not, I am not a prophet. And I'm also not the Holy Spirit. I'm not Jesus. Um, and I'm, I'm very much a fallible person just like anybody else. And so some things, sometimes I th- see things clearly and sometimes I don't. So I think there's always a need for wisdom there, always need for other people to kind of bounce things off of. So, so all that being said, when we think about the larger com- conversation about mental health and Christian counseling, what are some of the distinctive things? Um, yeah. Uh, we named a couple earlier when we were talking about why you we were here. And a couple that I would, would name as I think are, are true distinctives. Um, one is in the general field of mental health, there definitely is a human-centered worldview at, at play oftentimes. You know? And I worked in non-faith-based uh, context for a while before we started Harbor. And that was totally true there. And where I see that with human, more of a human-centered worldview is this sense of like whatever is ultimately true for you whatever your your own goals and values and view of the world is that is the truth you know and so everything that we're doing is kind of reinforcing of that like you are the you are the bottom line not god is the bottom line here so um that worldview piece is definitely um definitely uh relevant and distinctive i think in non-christian counseling you might talk about faith um but it's usually talked about as like a coping resource, like something that you have for comfort, something to lean on, something that helps you get through tough times. But as Christians and as Christian counselors, we see obviously faith is a lot more than that. It's more foundational than that. Um, and it's not only comforting, it's also can be convicting as well too. So I think just the centrality of faith is, is different. Um, I think recognizing the reality of sinfulness is a is a difference the fact that you know a lot of and this is like a big knock on um mental health from people that have skepticism about it is there's this sense of you're just blaming other people for your problems there's always looking for somebody else to blame and um sometimes that's for good reason because we're people that are affected by other other people and affected by things that happen to us but also in Christian counsel, we recognize that we have personal responsibility too, that like our own kind of sin, sin nature gets you know, involved in stuff that we struggle with. And that's something we need to deal with as well as the stuff that happens around us. Um, and the last thing I would say on this is just that I think the conversation around mental health has changed so much in our world in the last couple of years where it's talked about a lot more. And sometimes it's almost like an obsession um, talking about mental health, and it's, I, I walk like a little bit of a fine line with that because I think that's great that we talk more about it, but sometimes it almost becomes like a piece of our identity or something, or like an idol of our culture to like obsess over our mental health. And I, it's funny to say it as a therapist, but mental health is not the most important thing in life. It's a really uh, essential thing that's a normal part of life that we all have to work through, but it's not it's not the, the be-all and end-all of life. It's certainly not our identity. Um, and for us as Christian counselors, you know, attending to our mental health is a means to an end. It's a means to having a fuller uh, relationship to the life that God's given us and also a fuller relationship to God himself and to other people, you know, but it's not about just mental health, just for the sake of mental health. So that's, uh, that's the last thing I would have. Okay, here's where I'm going to end. And then we do have a few minutes for any questions that you guys have. But we've talked about, <coughs> excuse me, we've talked about 
stigma. We've talked about the harm that is caused by stigma. We've talked about how mental health is a normal part of Christian life. We've talked about how God's given us spiritual and natural resources to care for our mental health. So my question is now, um, why should I care? Even if I agree that it makes sense and it's acceptable for Christians to care for mental health, uh, what makes it necessary to do so? Why, why prioritize that in, in life? Um, in case any of you are wondering, what, what's, what's, the, what's the reason why? I want to just throw, throw a couple things out here to wrap up. <clears throat> so wisdom, empathy, and stewardship. So caring for your mental health can allow you to grow in wisdom. I think to come to terms with, with who God made you to be and how your life experiences have, have shaped you and affected you for better or worse in both your strengths as well as your areas of struggle, uh, to understand how your thoughts, emotions, and behaviors work together, how your environment impacts you, to know what, what you value, what you're, what you're aiming towards in life, to know what's going on inside of you uh, is an incredible gift, I think, to, and, and gives uh, an incredible sense of wisdom. And self-awareness like that is an incredibly powerful thing to possess. It just is. For your own peace of mind, your own sense of peace in life, but also for your relationships. To have self-awareness in relationships goes a long, long way. To have it in uh, positions of leadership and influence, to have self-awareness is one of the most important things you could ever have. Um, to have it in your studies and in your work, to know what's going on inside of you and what's driving you is an incredibly powerful thing. So that's all wisdom, and I think caring for your mental health can produce wisdom. Uh, caring for your mental health will enable you to have more empathy for others, usually. Um, and that will enable you to care well for other people in your life. Um, and have a greater sense of empathy and compassion uh, and connection with people. Um, we're going to talk in a couple weeks about caring for others, and so that'll, that'll be a, a chance to go a little bit further on how that works. But caring, I see this all the time in counseling. The way that you treat yourself will have a direct impact on the way you treat other people. It just no way around that. If you treat yourself uncaringly, that will have an effect on other people in your life and vice versa. If you care for yourself in these meaningful ways, that will have a positive effect on being able to care for other people. Um, and the last piece is, is stewardship. And I think caring for your mental health is a practice of, of faithful stewardship for the life that God's given you. Um, if we want to uh, do well and be fruitful and be sustained in the things that God has called us to. We have to care for our mental health. Um, so it's, it's a practice of stewardship. Um, and I want to just end with this story. Um, how many of you drive in Boston? A few of you, okay. Good for you that don't. So that's, yeah, it's crazy here. But um, I had a car up here a couple years ago and uh, I, I was kind of, coming out of those college years where I was like not super good at taking care of myself, also not good at taking care of cars apparently, because I had an old Volkswagen Jetta that my parents had handed down to me, and I kind of just drove it to the ground and, and didn't really pay attention to it. But there was one day when I was here in Boston, I was driving around in the car, and it just started to make the most horrible noise. I'll never forget how terrible this noise sounded. It was just like harsh metal sound rubbing up against each other. And uh, it lasted for half an hour, and I was just sort of like, oh, that's weird. What did that sound about? And then I kept driving on it, of course, and then the car broke down on the side of the road. Uh, had to call a tow truck. It towed it however many miles to a, to a uh, maintenance place. And the guy opened the hood and took one look inside, and he said, there's no oil in this car. I was driving with literally zero oil in the car. I learned that cars don't work very well if there has no oil. <laughs> and that, memory, that experience has totally lodged in my mind around as, as an example of what happens when we don't take care of ourselves. Is when we don't have the things that we need to keep running, it will make a terrible sound and eventually it will stop working. And so uh, 
that's an example of why caring for your mental health is important and it, and it helps to build wisdom, it helps build empathy, and it's essential for just the stewardship of the life that God's given you and the things he's called you to. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, if you guys have any questions or anybody send any questions, we can chat through those with the time that we have left. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, uh, this chance to be here tonight and for uh, just bringing this group together on a Friday night to, uh, to, to talk and think together about what it looks like to care for our mental health and how we do that well and faithfully as Christians, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would bless uh, each student here and uh, the RUF staff here um, in this area of their life, Lord, that they would be encouraged to, um, to care for their own mental health and the spiritual as well as the natural resources that you've given us to do that with, Lord, um, that you would produce wisdom for them and produce uh, empathy and uh, just allow them to be great stewards of the life that you've given them, Lord. Um, so I pray that for each of us in this room tonight, and we give you, uh, we give you praise for this time. In Christ's name, amen.